Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. Let's stand. If you're not standing, we stand for the reading of God's Word. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the second chapter, and uh, we're going to read verse 6 through 10. Amen. Today we're titling this Born Again, Again. You'll learn what that means in a, in a bit. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And look at verse 10. And you are what? You are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Can you say amen, amen to the reading of God's word? Father, we do bless your name. Thank you that we are complete in you. Thank you, Father, for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Open our eyes today to see, Lord God, your grace, your amazing grace. May we be amazed by it. May we be, be amazed by him, Jesus our grace. We bless you in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand. Give them a big smile. Tell them welcome, welcome to Grace Point. Hallelujah. You can be seated. How many of you have, uh, I'm sure you have, uh, they were real popular back in the, in the 90s. How many of you have seen these? They call them uh, Magic Eye or Magic Eye 3D Pictures. And when you first look at them, they look like a, just a bunch of random colors. Uh, but as you continue to stare at them, then an, uh, they reveal an image. An image will come forth. How many seen those? How many couldn't see anything in those when you stared at them? <laughs> I remember when they first started hitting the stores and they would have them displayed in certain areas, there'd be a, always a seemingly a crowd of people standing around staring at it. And there'd always be one person going, look at there, there's a... There's a pirate ship and another person saying there's nothing there. There's just colors there. And uh, they're still available. You can actually, uh, don't do it while I'm preaching, but you can go on Google and pull up those images. It doesn't work quite as well over an iPad or something like that, but you can uh, still do it. I tested it this morning. It, it's interesting. They actually give you instructions on how to be able to see what is initially unseeable. And they tell you to relax your eyes, uh, pull the, you know, f go to the screen as close as you can, and just relax your eyes and, and seemingly try to just look through it. And as you just relax and look through it, then the image will appear in 3D. And uh, all of you can't wait to get home today to spend your Sunday afternoon doing that. Uh, why are you talking about that, Pastor? Well, that's kind of how it was for me with grace. Uh, though I had looked at the Word of God 
many, many times, decades even, uh, there was something about God's grace that was hidden from me. I hadn't, it had not uh, become visible to me yet. And uh, even though I was uh, saved decades ago now, <laughs> uh, and I always loved God with all my heart, but, you know, our church, we would sing songs, we'd sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, but I don't mean this offensively, but most people didn't seem to be very amazed by grace. They sung about it. They said they were, but their faces said otherwise. And, uh, and, and then that's really about the only time I ever heard grace, never heard a whole sermon devoted to grace. And when grace was mentioned, uh, at least in my memory from preachers in the pulpit, it was usually mentioned in kind of a derogatory way, like greasy grace, they would say, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. Um, and uh, they would speak of grace like it was, uh, you know, something was wrong with it. Uh, that if you really, you know, got too carried away by God's grace, then you may start sinning, uh, you know, crazily, uh, you know, radically or something like that. But when I got this revelation of God's really amazing grace, uh, it was like being born again, again. And that's why the title. Um, when grace himself, did you hear me? See, some people talk about grace like it's a teaching or a doctrine. And, well, for the next three weeks, our church is going to study grace. And then we're going to move on to something else. Grace is Jesus. <laughs> the Bible says in John 1 that when he appears, we see him full of grace and truth. He is the grace of God manifested. And uh, when, when grace himself, when Jesus came into focus, that's when I really became amazed by grace. And I realized that I had barely understood grace at all up to that point. So, so listen to We know Ephesians says this, that we are saved by grace, right, through faith. It's not anything that, of our works, anything that we've deserved or anything, but we're saved by grace through faith. So listen to me, if we're saved by grace, that's an extremely important message for people to hear all they can hear by grace because that's how salvation comes. And most people that go to uh, a Christian church, they, they know they've been saved by grace. They've been told that, whether they're excited about it or not, you know, that's another story. But today, I just want to do a little bit differently because I'm going to ask you, um, you know, you're going to take a test. How about that? Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Nine questions, you don't have to answer to nobody but your own heart, but nine questions that I want to ask you, uh, and, and what that will, listen to me, what that will reveal to you, and to those that listen to this day, was how well do we grasp the grace of God. Um, so the first one is very important, and it's because of what I read there in Colossians 2, and, and we may look at that again, but the first question is this, do you understand that not only are we saved by grace, but you're kept by grace. And I want to tell you, there's a large chunk of the church that, that they know they're saved by grace, but then they don't know that they're kept by that same grace that saved them. And so they're, they're saved by grace, but then they're trying to, to maintain that, that gift, really, by law and by doing things and performing and all that kind of stuff. And so you got to understand this. If we received Christ by faith without doing anything, uh, then 
the problem that a lot of folks have is they're not continuing in him by that same faith, that same type of faith, undeserved. And so that's why Colossians 2.6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. Do you see that? So right in that one verse, you've got not only are we saved by grace, you received him by grace, but now that latter part, you got to walk in him by grace. So you live your life by, by that same type of grace, that same grace of God. And, and what does that look like? Because you're rooted and you're built up in him, in, in Christ Jesus. It's Christ in you, but yet God put you in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And so it says rooted and built up in him and then established in the faith. And then he said, as you've been taught, he had taught this and abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then he warns these Christians. He warns us, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And I, I don't have time to read all this. If you read the, all, the rest of this one chapter here in chapter 2, down at the bottom of this chapter, the latter part of it, it starts talking about they'll be coming out with all these rules, touch not, taste not, handle not, and, 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 and he starts talking about how that this is how, he said it has, a, it has a semblance of religious activity, but it has no profit to change in your life. And he talks about that in this whole chapter. And he says this in verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He said, don't let anybody cheat you through telling you there's some other way to live this life. And then he says, because in you, and, and, and you are complete in him. Now, if you're complete in him, how can you pray more God? That's one of the biggest deceptions in the church is, well, Lord, we just need more of you. Well, you're saying God didn't, you're, I mean, there's so many verses that say that's not true. The Bible says when you've received Christ, you receive the fullness, not the halfness, not the 10 percentness, the fullness. You may not be manifesting or expressing or even enjoying the fullness, but it's not because God didn't give it to you. So we're going around and saying, more God, we just need more of you, more of you, less of me. I mean, all that sounds good, but that's philosophies of men. That's traditions and teachings of men. Uh, you know, yeah, we want, to, we want to manifest more of God and less of ourselves. I, I go with that. But it's not because there's a deficit been deposited in your spirit. Kids don't have a little, you know, junior Holy Spirit and adults have a whole, I mean, none of that. You have the Holy Spirit as a gift from God when you're born again and put your faith in Christ Jesus. Y'all just let me know when I say something about the Bible where y'all can grunt an amen. You are complete. Not you will be one day over yonder in the glory land, but you are complete in him. Well, I don't feel complete. I don't care how you feel. It didn't say you feel complete. It says you are complete what? In him. Now, he's the head of all principality and all power. So if he's the head of all power, then how much power does that leave for Satan? Boy, y'all got confused on that one. When Jesus was resurrected, he said this. He said, now all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Remember that one? So if all power has been given unto Christ Jesus in heaven and in earth, how much power does that leave for Satan? Boy, they some Christians got a real powerful devil whooping on them. 
But if, if Christ's words are true, then all power in heaven and earth has been granted unto him. Then how much power does that leave for the enemy? None. And then he shares that power with his body, which is us, the church. And Acts 1 and 8 says, And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit. When it's come upon you. When does the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you get born again. So the power that the enemy operates in today in the lives of believers and unbelievers is the power that he's granted by them. I said he's, it's the power you give him. How do you give him power? By believing lies. If you believe a lie, then you empower the liar. If you believe the lie that I hate your guts and don't want to see your face, then you would stay away from me. That would be a lie, but you would believe it is truth and you would act accordingly. Amen? Amen. Or owe me. Okay. So this faith that we're saved by, we're saved by faith, uh, grace through faith. What is faith? Faith don't move God. I don't care what you, what you heard. Faith never says in the Bible, faith in the New Testament, faith moves God. Faith moves us. Faith moves you to a positive response to a loving, gracious Heavenly Father. And what faith does is connects you with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross when you believe in Him. Faith is a positive response to what, not what trying to get God to do something, but to what God has already done. And, but the problem with that is you and I are trained to do stuff. We should have changed our name to human doings instead of human beings. Because we feel better when we're doing than just being. Amen? And so many people had rather do, 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 and do some more. Instead of living their life based on what Jesus done, done, <laughs> done on the cross. Jesus did not lie when he said, it is finished. It's finished. My problem is I didn't know that for a long time as a believer. I sure didn't know it, and I sure didn't believe it because I didn't know it. And so there was no rest for me. And a lot of Christians were suffering like I was of performance and anxiety. You, people, and I'm not making any light of that now. You know, I know it's a real deal. Anxiety attacks. But I want to tell you, we have a lot of Christians suffering anxiety attacks in their walk with God. It's a performance anxiety attack. And they're not satisfied with their performance, and they think God feels the same about them. And they are very anxious, and they don't come boldly to the throne room of grace. They have such anxiety and fear, condemnation, and it's not from God. Okay? Point number two. Question number two. Do you think... You were saved to serve. Some churches even have a banner that says saved to serve. And uh, this will get me some text, emails or whatever. I got a good delete button. It's really big. Uh, God did not save you to serve. I remember one time, I've told you this before, when my kids were smaller, uh, we lived out, we had uh, on, on the Valley Road, we had 30 acres, so there's a lot of work to do if you got 30 acres to keep up with. And, and I remember, I don't remember which one of my, my sons, I was telling them to do something. I don't know if it would get firewood or something like that. And they were just so aggravated, and they were, you know, they had a spirit of stupid come on them and just said, 
Well, Daddy, the only reason you had us is so we could work. <laughs> and I remember standing there looking at them. I'm about 10, 10 years old or something. And my mind just went, you know, I calculated just in just, just rough numbers. I mean, I'd done spent like $50,000 on that kid. I mean, I could get a lot of labor done a lot cheaper than what I'm trying to get. <laughs> you know, you think I had you so you could work for me. Man, I'd have fired you a long time ago. <laughs> get your butt to that barn and bring that firewood in the house, like I told you. You know, it's just such a joke. Well, similarly with us, some of you have been taught that God saved you just so you could serve him. And that would be a lie. You're not saved to serve. You do serve the Lord, but you do it because you're motivated by love for him. But he didn't save you to serve. He can make myriads of angels that would serve him so much better than we would ever serve him. He doesn't need service. He's looking for sons and daughters and a family. And, and so God didn't save you to serve. And, and, and some of you really need to evaluate how you view your relationship with God because if you see God as master and yourself as servant, then that's not the relationship he's looking for from you. In John 15 and 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. You're the friend of God. Man, I feel the Lord, he loves that. Man, he loves that. And then when he, when he, and that was right before he went to the cross. And when he came out of the grave, first thing he said to the, to, to the women was, go tell my brethren that I'll meet them in Galilee. So he elevated the relationship even greater than a friend, a brother. And he is our elder, what? Brother, Christ Jesus. And so the relationship that he wants with you um, is not to serve but this is kind of how you hear it in, in some places. Well, Jesus died for you. Jesus done everything for you. He died for you. Now what are you going to do for him? He gave his life for you. Now what are you going to do for him? And, 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 and I used to try to be motivated by that because I heard it a lot. But much of what I did was not motivated by love at all. It was motivated by a sense of obligation. And, and, and I was trying to pay God back for saving me. And when you do that, listen, as a Christian, what you're doing is you are cheapening the exceeding riches of his grace for you. And you're, listen, and you're trying to pay him back for his priceless gift. Priceless gift. There are things that we have in our lives sometimes that we was handed down to us. It could be jewelry. It could be a lot of things. It could be things that are worth materially no value to another person, but they're priceless to you because your, your, your granddaddy had them or your, your spouse had them or whatever. But imagine somebody giving you that type of gift and then you trying to pay them for it. What an insult to them. You know, if I gave my wife a, a gift and then all of a sudden, you know, she turns right around and says, well, I want to pay you for that. I'm going to start making payments on it. I mean, that's, that's not going to bless me. Uh, when you try to pay God back for what, what is priceless, the indescribable gift, then what happens is this shifts your focus from him and his work to you and what you're doing for him. And instead of being impressed by what he has done for you, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to impress him with what you're doing for him. And that won't work. Can you say amen? Parent number three. 
Question number three. Are you motivated by rewards and punishments? Rewards and punishments. In the business world, they use this term a lot. They call it sticks and carrots. You be good, we let you eat the carrot. You don't be good, we hit you with a stick. In other words, you do good, then you get good. Do bad, you get bad, right? But listen to me. God's gift in my early Christian life, I heard so much emphasis on paying the price. In other words, if you're going to be close to God, and I'm going to touch that one in a minute, you got to pay the price. And then they would even say it like this, you got to pray the price. Pray the price. Church loves to come, church people love to come up with cliches. Got to pray the price, brother. Got to pay the price. And then I'd hear, you know, all this was free, but then they were telling me, tell me I had to pay the price. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go to, a, I had a prayer cabin in the woods. I'd go to the prayer cabin and spend hours. And the more hours I would spend, then the better I felt like, you know, and closer I felt like I was to God. I, even on our website, the blog, I, you know, I, one of the blogs got a lot of responses. I said, stop trying to get closer to God. Because you can't get any closer to God than you are. You even scared to save me because you don't even know. <laughs> Bless your heart. That's why I'm teaching this. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute from the Bible. But listen, it's not about rewards and punishment. Listen, if, listen, if grace is free, how many of you believe grace is free? Okay? If grace is free, then you either receive it or you reject it. Period. You either receive it or you reject it, but it's free. But the moment you start charging for it, you've got to pay the price, then what you've done is you've missed grace. You've missed it. There's on, listen, there's only one motive in the kingdom of God, and that motive is love, not obligation, not trying to pay God back. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Savior, he did not come to earth to threaten us, to scare us. He came to demonstrate his love for us. That's what Romans 5 and 8 says. Now evangelism, I was an evangelist for six years before I uh, started pastoring, planted a church in, in, uh, in Cook County in March 10th of 91 called Cornerstone. Still goes today. Pastored it 19 years before I came here. But uh, when I was an evangelist, I, I would talk to other evangelists, and they said, you need to have you about five to seven red hots sermons. Because you're going to go to different churches, so just you can preach the same thing, and you just really get good at it. And you need one on hell, and you need one on, you know, and they kind of give you the list there. And, uh, and what we do is preach hell, you know, preach hell hot and heaven sweet, to say. And what really, you know, you try to do uh, is you just try to, you know, scare people into the kingdom, which Jesus never did. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repent, to change their thinking about God. Uh, it's not, and you hear me say this all the time, and you probably get hearing sick of saying it. I, I mean, hearing it, I don't get sick of saying it. I'm not, you know, I, I found out that evangelism is not trying to scare people into heaven. Not threatening them, dangling them over hell on a rotten stick with a rotten rope and telling three car wreck stories. Because I was a paramedic for 20 years. I know a lot of car wreck stories. I know a lot of real horrible stories, I can tell you. And there's been times because they fit or something, I might say something in a broad brushstroke way. But not to scare you that if you don't do something today, when you go home, you could get killed before you get there. 
That's not the motive for, 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 for coming to Christ. If your motive to coming to Christ is because you just don't like the temperature of the other alternate place, that's not what he's looking for, love. And he never used and never and hell was never in that sense meant to be some kind of incentive program to get you to, you know, like God's not good enough. Like he says, you know, I love you and I'm the husband, you're the bride, and uh, I'm going to propose to you and I want you to accept our covenant and enter into an eternal covenant relationship together. Uh, and, but before you answer my proposal, just know that I'm going to torture you in hell forever if you say no. Well, that's a, that's, that's a, how do you like to get that kind of proposal, lady? Well, I love you. You're my wife. You know, I love you unconditionally, and I want to marry you, and I want us to be one. But before you answer now, know that if you don't accept me, I'm going to kill you right here. See, that's, that's a God that a lot of people serve. If you're interested, I did a teaching on hell one time. We probably still got a copy or two of it around here. But there's things I've heard in church that I knew was a lie because I knew the nature of my daddy. And just as a side note, most of you say, well, you know, he don't believe, you don't know what I believe, so don't even say it. But if you get you a, a real Bible concordance, most of the time from Old Testament to New, when the word is translated in English, hell, H-E-double toothpicks, it is the word grave. The grave. Where it says, hell hath enlarged itself and opened its mouth to receive those. The, the literal Hebrew says the grave has opened its mouth to receive those. It's the grave. Okay? I've heard preachers take that and preach hell's building on. Hell's had to add on. So many people going to it. Man, philosophies of men, traditions of men, teachings of men. That's just a little side. See law, reflect, moment, think about it, aggravate the religious people for five seconds. Hallelujah. Question number four, do you see yourself as a servant rather than a son? We kind of talked about that. But Jesus said, uh, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. So my identity has got to be in him, not in the things that I'm doing for him. So don't see yourself as working for God. See yourself as doing the works of God. How about that? Okay. Question number five, are you asking God to provide things that he's already provided for you? Are you spending time praying and asking God to provide things that his Bible, his New Testament, his new covenant says that he already has provided for you? Now, you know we hit this one a lot. I'm just doing real broad uh, looking at this. But do you pray for the mind of Christ or do you believe what the Bible says we have the mind of Christ? See, if you're praying for the mind of Christ, that means you don't believe you have it. And you're waiting on God to send it like UPS from heaven, delivered at your house. And I want to tell you, that delivery won't ever come because you already have the mind of Christ if you've been born again. You might not be utilizing the benefit of it. That's why the Bible warns you against being double-minded. Because you still have a natural mind that's an enemy against the things of God. Because that natural mind does not receive the things that be of the Spirit, nor does it know them. But you've been given the mind of Christ. That no man need to teach it. You've been given that. Are you praying for the anointing? Oh, God, please anoint me today. Well, the Bible says in, in several places in the New Testament, we have received the anointing. You have the anointing. 
As a young preacher, I used to spend hours begging, pleading, fasting, and praying for the anointing. I would ask God to anoint me when I preached, and, 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 and I believe sometimes he did and sometimes he didn't. I'd go to a church to preach, and the, the pastor and the leaders of the church many times would, would welcome me, and they would gather me in the back office before the revival or whatever started, and they would say, we want to pray for you, Brother Young, you know, before we start. And I'm like, I always need prayer, and y'all need to practice. Hallelujah. Let's go. And so here we go. They, they start praying for me, and this is the, how the prayer goes. Lord, I just pray you'd anoint Pastor Dale today. You'd anoint our speaker with the with anointing like you've never, you know, anointed him before. So I'm sitting there going, they know I'm not anointed, they're praying that I will be anointed, and they want it to be better than any anointing that they've ever heard I ever manifested. And I'm thinking, if you didn't think I was anointed, why do you invite me? Because it's going to be a waste of time for all of us. And I don't mean that arrogantly. And every morning now, like before I came today, I, this is my prayer and how it goes now. Father, I thank you. If you want to know the whole prayer, condensed version, is, Lord, I thank you for let him allow me to sleep and just the sleep that I enjoyed last night. Thank you. I got an appetite today and a body that will receive food. Thank you. Thank you. And I can see that sun out there. Man, it's a pretty day, God. Seriously. Lord, I thank you that you have given me the anointing. I pray today that you would help me to yield to that anointing that resides on the inside of me. Thank you for the mind of Christ. May I yield to that and not my natural mind. Even today was kind of weird for me, a little different. I just said, Lord, I give you my eyes. May I see what you see. Lord, I give you my ears. May I hear the voice of God clearly. I give you my hands to bless people, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I give you my tongue to speak the word of God. I give you my lips to bring praise to you and to magnify to you. I give you my nose to discern and recognize the atmosphere and the things of the Spirit. And just went, just, just gave, you know, I thought it said, you know, Romans 12, present your body a living sacrifice. I, I thought I'd do it one time, see. But see, my prayers now are not a prayer of struggle and scratching and clawing and begging and pleading. My prayers are filled with thanksgiving and belief in his goodness and what he accomplished on the cross. And so that brings me into the Sabbath, the rest of God. Sabbath ain't a day of the week, babe. It's a, it's a way of the Spirit. Hebrews 3 and 4, there still remains a rest for the people of God if they'll receive it. Amen? All right. Y'all doing good. Stop asking for stuff God's already given you. Oh, Lord, I just pray you would open the heavens today over us. Well, thanks for playing, but you're wrong. That was an appropriate prayer in Old Covenant times before Jesus came. Isaiah 64 and 1 says, oh, the prophet cried out, Oh God, we would rent the heavens and come down. I would that you would rent the heavens and come down. So when you pray, Oh God, open the heavens, you're saying the heavens have never been opened. But at Jesus' baptism, it says the heavens were open. The Holy Spirit came in a bodily form. As a, listen, and I say this, I mean, the only place the heavens are closed is between people's ears. Well, I live in a certain city. It's just so hard there. It's so dark there. It's so, you know, you can't sail there. You can't perform there. You can't be fruitful over here. All that is just a Hebrew word, bull. It's just between years. Stop believing lies. The heavens are opened over you. 
because Jesus opened them. You have an open heaven. Your prayers, well, I don't feel like my prayer got no higher in my head. Well, that's a wrong feeling. Because where are you trying to shoot your prayers anyway? So what, in your mind, you're trying to send a prayer and you want it to pierce through the galaxies, go past where the shuttle goes and goes to heaven to the planet and Papa to hear it, right? Oh, that's a lie. I thought you said that God was in you, Christ in you. So if you want to pray, bow your head, look him right in the face and talk to him right there he is. You tell me your prayer can't get from here two inches down to your heart? Come on now. Come on, you pray better than that, I know. So you think God's way off out there somewhere. God lives in you. I'm just trying to help somebody this morning. This will make your lunch be a lot better if you'll smile and get this down. I can't get a prayer through. Where are you trying to get a prayer through? This is not Old Testament. This is not Daniel praying in Daniel chapter 9, and we got to send Michael to war and angel. And get, I mean, this ain't none of that, y'all. New covenant. Better covenant. Better promises. The old covenant was a visitational covenant. Holy Spirit would come on people like Samson, and it would come off of them when he went to Delilah's tent for cookies and tea. It would come on David, and it would come off David. It would come on King Saul, and it would come off of King Saul. That's why David would pray, Oh, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But nobody ever prays that in the new covenant because Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I leave here. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit comforter will not come. But if I leave you, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send another who will not only be with you, but he shall be in you. And your heart is not a revolving door. He doesn't come and go. Once he's in there, you're stuck with him. He says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. What if I sin? He knows you will. He moved in anyway. He, he, he gave you a new spirit. He gave you the Holy Spirit. God won't forsake you. God won't abandon you. God won't turn his back on you. I don't care what that preacher on the Internet said. He will never leave you. He'll never turn away from you. He can't deny himself. He's faithful to himself. He made a covenant with himself in regard to me and you. Woo, I'm preaching now. Man, how much good news can one congregation take in one Sunday morning? I mean. I knew enough years ago about grace to approach him, but not boldly. And uh, I'd come, Lord, you know, like a worm, crawl in there and hope he didn't kill me, you know, from the sin. Oh, that's just ridiculous. Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3, and his divine power has given to us all things. How many things? That pertain to life and godliness. What, what, what else is there? And the knowledge of him through his glory and virtue. God said, I've already given you all things. I've given you all things. Question number six is, are you more sin conscious than Christ conscious? Now, Hebrews chapter two, uh, 10, verse 2, Hebrews 10, 2 says, if the sacrifice they were offering in the Old Covenant had worked, they would have stopped offering it. But there was a yearly remembrance of sin. And he's talking about Christ and his sacrifice. And he says in verse 2, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Question. For the worshipers once purified. How many times do you get purified? 
once purified, would have had no what? No more consciousness of sins. Um, so, you know, as a young preacher, boy, we, everybody was telling me you're supposed to preach against sin, call sin what it is, and talk about it, and preach against it, and you scare people away from it, and don't do it. And so the church don't even know what sin is. The church today still thinks sin is an action, something they do. You know, I committed this sin, I did this, and I sinned. That's not the Bible definition. In Romans, I've told you this before, in Romans the word sin is used more than any New Testament book of the Bible. And it's, it's, in the New King James it's used 45 times, the word sin, Paul used it. And only one time of those 45 times was sin a verb. 44 times it's a noun. The first person who ever said sin out of their mouth, and it's recorded in the Bible, was God himself. And in Genesis, after Cain had murdered Abel, God was talking to Cain, and he personified sin in the third person. And in the King James Version, it says, He lieth at the door. He desires to have you. And God made, and it's a noun there, and God made sin a personality, a person, and an entity. Because we don't understand what sin is. Him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin. The word is a noun, not a verb. Jesus did not die on the cross for sins, plural. He died for sin. Sin got nailed on the cross. Jesus paid for sin once and for all. If he didn't pay for all of it, then he's got to come back and pay the rest of it. That means we've got another crucifixion to watch at some point, and that's not true. Somehow I don't believe in future forgiveness of sins. You better pray to God your sins were forgiven in the future because you wasn't alive when Jesus died on the cross. So all your sins were in the future and mine too. Even preachers and denominations and people that so strongly believe that you can't be forgiven of future sins, they believe that until their loved one commits suicide. I've been raised around people that said you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. We had a family member commit suicide. And then everybody changed their theology all of a sudden and said he was in heaven. I'm like, I thought well, there wasn't any future forgiveness. I don't know anybody dumb enough to think killing anybody or yourself is not a sin. Right? Still a sin. Still a sin. So after you commit it, <laughs> ain't no place to repent because you don't have no opportunity. So there's sin, unconfessed, unrepented of, and that's why you can't go to heaven. That's how they taught me when I was a young boy. But now, they'll make an exception for that one incident. But then if you was to listen to them, and then they say, well, Brother Dale believes that, you know, that all sin was forgiven, even sin yet and committed yet. They go, well, that's heresy, or whatever they, whatever they go. Man, you got to make up which side of the stamp you're going to lick. You, you, you got to get it right. You can't just, you know, just change it at a whim. God's word is eternal. God's word is true. Jesus died for all sins. Yes, even the ones you have not even committed yet, you are forgiven. <laughs> now, see, that scares the daylights. Well, they're just going to go sin willy-nilly. I don't know who willy or nilly is, but you can sin like you want to. That's just license to sin. Anybody ever pulled you over and checked your license to sin? No, you don't need a license to sin, just sin. It's ridiculous. I told you just over and over, it's be like when me and my wife married 30, you know, eight years ago. 
we made a covenant with each other. And the preacher helped us, but we did it before him and God and everybody's watching. You know what that woman told me? She told me she was going to love me forever. She said she loves me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. She said even in sickness and in health, she'd stay with me. And you know what she said? She said, only till death do we part when I break its covenant with you. You know what that we didn't probably know as good as we know now? But when you hear somebody doing that, you know really what she was telling me? She's telling me that I know you're going to sin against me, but I'm going to forgive you in, in, in advance. So in other words, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm telling you that there's nothing but death will cause me to leave you. And, and so by that, I know you're a human, and you're going to sin. And so I'm going to forgive you standing here today on July the 12th, 1980, when we got married. My wife was literally saying to me, I'm going to forgive you for every wrong that you'll ever do against me. From this moment forward, you're already forgiven. Well, this will make a wedding a lot better if y'all will get this here. Now, I tell people now you need to write in the vows what you're going to leave his butt over and quit lying and saying to death do his part. No, no, if you step out on me, then I'm done with you. Let's put that in the vows just so we're all clear. Don't put the death do his part because I'm going to depart. If you do this, I'm going to depart your butt and go on. Give me another one. I'll tell you, you don't get preaching like it's everywhere. I'll tell you, you guys. But you see how that works? Covenant. Well, God made a covenant with himself in regard to us. And God said, I forgive you. Pay the price in full. Never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you no matter what you do. That's why it's called good news, y'all. It's the best news on the planet. It's better than you could ever imagine. It's why grace is so amazing. Amen? Question number seven is, are you trying to do right to be right? Are you trying to please him? Are you trying to get close or closer to the Lord? And I know that bothers some people, but Ephesians chapter 2, you can throw that one up, verse 12 and 13. Ephesians 2, Paul's talking about, you know, before you got saved. And he describes it this way in verse 12. He says that at that time you were without Christ. How many knows without Christ means you're not saved yet? He says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel... Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's a pitiful condition, isn't it? That's how God said you were when you didn't know Jesus. But then in verse 13, he says, but now, everybody say now. Now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, you who once were far off, how many times were you going to be far off? Once. Far off. Have been. That's past tense, isn't it? Y'all help me with my English. Have been brought where? Near by the blood of Christ. Now, how are you brought near to God? By your efforts? By you trying? By you praying? By you fasting? By you trying to do the right thing? You brought to him by how? By the blood of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So if the blood brought you near, what's it going to take to get you far? What is more powerful than the blood of Jesus? Is sin more powerful than the blood of Jesus? 
Can sin separate you from God? Paul said there's nothing that can separate. Y'all ever read Romans 8? He said nothing. And he named the celestials and everything. He said nothing is able to separate you from God. You've been brought near. Now you may not feel close to God, but that's because what's going on in your head. See, when you sin, it's not like I'm, nothing that I've said today, do I mean go on and sin, don't worry about it, it ain't a big deal. Sin's such a big deal, Jesus came down the cross for it. If you want to write me down and quote me, put I'm against sin, I recommend you not do it. It, it, it produces death in an unbeliever or a believer. So put me down in quotes that Brother Dale's not for you sinning. Okay? Now, but that being said, when you sin, because you all going to sin, I know you. You're riding in an earth suit just like me. You, I, I'm not saying, like I always say, I ain't got it on the calendar, you know, circled, you know, for next month. You know, on this day, I'm going to sin like crazy. I got it circled in red, you know. I'm going to get it on that day. There's something wrong with your relationship if you, if you got, you know, planned. But, but when you sin, listen, it doesn't change God's view of you because while you were a sinner, he loved you and demonstrated that love on the cross. But what it does is it changes how you love God and how you view God. Sin doesn't affect God's love for you, but it affects your love for God. You, you with me? Okay. So stop trying to do right to be right. You are right, therefore you do right. And how, why, who said we're right? God said you're right. And he called you his righteousness. Question number eight, do you have a stronger relationship with the written word than you do with the living word? We don't study the Bible to get to know the Bible. We study the Bible to get to know Jesus. Everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about one person, Jesus the Christ, and it reveals him. It reveals him. I, so I don't read the scripture to find Jesus uh, and, and to learn, you know, but, but I read the scriptures to see him, to know him. Um, that's, what, that's what the word's for. Everything in the Bible is to point you to a person and to, to an encounter with that person. I think it's in John 5 that where Jesus told those most religious people, scribes and Pharisees, who studied the scripture. He, he actually said this. This is what Jesus said. Uh, I think it's in John chapter 5. Jesus said, you study the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But he said, those scriptures, they testify of me. And you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. The Bible points you to a person, and his name's Jesus. If all you're doing is reading the Bible to learn the Bible, you're missing the point. Is to lead you to Christ. Amen? Last question. Look at there. Do you know, question nine, do you know the Bible says you're righteous, but you don't feel righteous? You're here today. You're a believer. You've heard it over and over that you are the righteousness of God. The Bible says you're righteous. Now, how a lot of Christians will say that, well, I know, Brother Dale, that, you know, I'm righteous in the Lord's eyes. <laughs> it don't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're righteous in the Lord's eyes. What we mean by that is that God's playing games with himself. He looks at us and he goes, I'm going to call you all righteous, but you're really not. You really are nasty and filthy and you get on my nerves. So I'm going to put on these righteous glasses and it will make me kind of kid myself and make me think you're righteous when I know you're not. That's how the average Christian believes about their righteousness. And that righteousness there won't, won't lead you to victory. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. 
So in other words, for you to get that you're righteous, I'm telling you, you can't just get that because Brother Dale's preaching a sermon about it. That has to come by revelation. Now, if y'all remember that read this book, Romans 1 and 16, Paul starts out and says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. He said, I'm not ashamed. Why would he say it like that? So he said, because it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. But you've got to believe it or you don't release the power. The, the gospel, what does the word gospel mean? So the good news of God is, is what releases the power of God in your life. And he said, you have to believe it, though, for that power to activate and work. And then he says, for in it, in what? In that good news, in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to you from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in God's goodness. Faith in the word of God. Faith in what God says that you are. And he, what does he say? You're righteous. I tell you this a lot, but you know Romans 10 is the classic chapter that tells you how to get saved in the New Testament, right? The word sin is never mentioned. So here we got people getting saved, and nobody said the sin word to them. I wonder why. Because your sin's done been dealt with on the cross. God reconciled the world of its sin, not imputing men's sin trespasses against them anymore. God said, I declare peace between me and you. You're forgiven. You may not be enjoying the benefits of that forgiveness because you don't believe in it. It's too good to be true. But as soon as you put your faith in my word, then you'll enjoy the benefits. It's not like that you just got forgiven in that moment. No, you just received your forgiveness in that moment. But you were forgiven 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross and became sin for you. Doggone, I'm preaching good. I'm going to get this CD myself. He took care of it for you. So I wonder why if sin, you know, average church, well, preacher, I'd like to get saved. Well, bow your head, close your eyes, and, and confess your sins. That's how, that's how the average church in America is going to tell somebody to get saved. They won't even, if somebody comes up and says they want to get saved, first thing I'm going to start talking to them about is their sin. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin. And none of that, none of that is in the Bible. None of it's in there. That would go real good on the face, Facebook today. It ain't in there. You need another one by two witnesses. Apostle Paul, Philippian jail, Acts 16, midnight jailhouse rock. Y'all ever heard that story? And they, they get delivered at midnight, Paul and Silas. The jailer's going to kill himself. He thinks they've escaped. Paul says, do yourself no harm. We all still in here. That jailer sees the power of God manifested. He says this question here, not hard. What must I do to be saved? Question mark. Paul did not say, close your eyes, bow your head, repent of your sin. Paul never even used the word sin. He says, I guess the apostle Paul needs to come to our church here so we could teach him how to get people saved because apparently three personal tours of heaven didn't get him the knowledge to know how to get people saved. How do you get people saved? Talking to them about their sin? No, that's like trying to get a person delivered off of eating sweets by talking to them about chocolate pie. It ain't going to work. How did Paul tell that jailer to get saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be. Man, that was easy, wasn't it? Do what? Believe. And then he throwed in an added bonus. And not only you, but your whole household. 
because this salvation is real and the power is real and it's going to affect everybody who lives under your roof. Amen. Come on, give him praise. That's the truth. So, so many people tell me this, well, I don't feel righteous. I do care how you feel. I really do care how you feel because I care how I feel. I care how my wife feels. I want you to feel good and feel righteous. I want you to enjoy life and be happy in God. And, you know, there's enough going to come against you. In th this ain't heaven yet. Y'all figured that out, right? But I am also convinced not only does, is, is, like Paul said, righteousness is revealed by God to you, but also grace comes by revelation as well. And listen to me. Remember how I started the sermon? And I'm ending it with this. Remember that 3D magic picture that at first glance, it's just like a bunch of colors. I don't see anything. I'm, I'm asking you, if you don't see grace like the way I've described it today, if you don't see that, hey, I get that. I used to be that guy. And 30 years ago, I'd have probably slammed my Bible down and got up and walked out. And if you do that, hey, I don't blame you. I wish you wouldn't, but I get it. But the problem is not because you sat with the Bible in your quiet place and read it and came to that conclusion. The problem is people like me, preachers like me, who have not seen grace as amazing, preach to you just enough grace to get you saved and preach just enough law to keep you straight. And that's a really bad mixture. Because the remedy for sin that God sent was his amazing grace, and that remedy cannot be wrong. Jesus is the remedy for sin. And so if you don't see grace, don't see it like I've described it, then please be patient with those of us who are leaping for joy because of the image we see of the grace of God. And I'm asking you, don't walk away from that magic eye picture and just say, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't see nothing there. I don't see it like that. I want to tell you, uh, if you can't see it, just keep looking. Just keep looking, and, and don't say there's nothing there. Just keep looking. Grace is in there, the goodness of God. And I want to tell you something. I haven't found and arrived and explored all the, the depth and the width and the height of God's grace. Man, I've seen enough of it, man. I'm pretty excited. I was so excited about it that I decided to change the name of this church to Grace Point. And our little saying is grace is the point. He is the point. That's the, that's the whole reason. Grace is really standing right there in front of you and he is really huge and his name is Jesus and I pray by revelation today that as you kind of went down these nine questions with me that maybe it revealed some areas where some old philosophies of men and teachings and doctors of men have clouded your view just a bit and you're not seeing him stand in there in all of his glory and all of his goodness because that's the power of God. That's the power of God not only to save you, but for you to walk in that same grace day by day. Amen. Stand with me. Do you receive the word of God? Give God praise if you do. Hallelujah. I'd like to ask my elders if they would, some of them, come forward, some of our prayer people. I'm going to dismiss you. It's 11.59. Say, Pastor Dale, you did so good today. Not only did you preach good, but you watched the clock good. Hallelujah. We're going to get to get the, you know, all the chicken that we want before the other ones get there in the buffet line. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Y'all know I believe in having fun. I hope you do too. You're going to be miserable if you don't. 
Turn around and look at those people and smile and say, man, this was a bunch of good news in here today. Tell them, tell them, good news, good news, good news. <laughs> Some guy sent me something yesterday. I don't know him. He's probably listening. He'll send me something else. I don't know. He just said, you got to watch all this. Uh, he said, too much sweet preaching leads to, to truth decay. I know he didn't think of that on his own, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go in the morning and I'm going to throw out all the truth that I can throw out to these people. It's like I've told God before you, God, you're so good. And in my own little heart of hearts, I felt like he said, Dale, you have my permission to try to exaggerate my goodness. Do your best. You're going to come up short. Try to exaggerate to your church how good I am. See how that goes. God is better than I ever imagined he was. If I could have had this grace and this, this revelation of his goodness when I was 20, man, I'd be a little bit, I think, a little further down the road. But when I did get it decades later and got delivered from the law, because God says that you're under grace, you're not under the law. I didn't get that. I was under law and grace. No, it's just grace now. Saved by it, walk by it, live by it, breathe by it. And this is why this message is so important, because we're saved by grace and we're kept by grace. And if you're not born again today, then this message about God's goodness should make you want to surrender your life to him and receive that grace. If you're already a believer, then stop trying to get God to like you because he's already in love with you. And just walk in that grace and goodness. And see him as your father, not as a master with a big stick to bop you if you mess up. Amen? So if you want prayer for any reason, you just want to come up and say, howdy, <laughs> whatever, I don't care. We love you guys. We just don't want you to have to go away today if you want prayer for any reason. Greatest thing you could do is just believe right where you stand in Jesus and receive him as your Savior. Greatest thing you do as a believer Throw away all that philosophy of men, teachers of men, doctors of men. Don't be cheated away from the goodness of God. Don't let that cheat you, okay? Just look at Papa and smile. He loves you. He'll always love you. Don't try to get him to like you. He already loves you. While you was a sinner, he demonstrated that I love you by dying on the cross, okay? And that'll make you live out of that revelation, and you'll sin less and manifest more of him on accident more than you ever did trying to do it on purpose in the old way. <laughs> okay? You get that? So we love you. You're dismissed. If you want prayer while they're going that way, you come this way. God bless you. We love you.
There is free